you. Isaiah chapter 9, and we'll be looking at verses, we'll be looking at the whole chapter, but for the initial scripture reading, we'll be looking at verses 6 and 7. We're going verse by verse to the book of Isaiah, and uh, that's, uh, that's where we're at with that. So Isaiah 9 and verse 6 and 7, once you've found that, if you're able, if you would stand for the reading of God's word, Isaiah chapter number 9. And verses 6 and 7. Amen. We're, uh, we've got, um, we've got uh, pulled Brother Tom off the bench and put him in the sound booth tonight. He's only back there a couple of times a year. All things considering, I think he's doing a great job. So uh, be patient with us. We're, um, uh, we're, we're patching along while our tech guy is, is uh, kicking back, drinking lemonade, and, um, you know, sitting on a hammock somewhere. So... All right, let's look at verse 6 and 7. The Bible says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So the title of the Bible study this evening out of Isaiah 9 is this, The King is Coming. The King is Coming. Let's pray together tonight and ask God for His, uh, His help in enlightening us as we study this passage. Lord, help us tonight. Help us to understand the verses. Some of this is a little bit wordy for what we're used to. Uh, but Lord, help it to be simplified and Lord, yet understood. And may the power of the passage affect us. And Lord, uh, may, may it bring about, um, Lord, a, a deeper appreciation for your first coming. And also encourage us that you are coming yet again. And that in your second coming, you will rule and reign in the, all of the hurt and heartache that we carry through life will be gone as we get to rule and reign with you. We look forward to that time in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. You can be seated. Well, the king is coming. If you could advance that next slide there, that would be great. You're working on it? Okay. Uh, Isaiah chapter 9. We, we have come to the point in the book of Isaiah where King Ahaz is still on the throne in Israel. And he is still ruling um, Israel. And of all of the kings that would rule and reign during the era of Isaiah's a, prophet, a time of prophecy, all of them would be men who would do right in the sight of the Lord except Ahaz. Ahaz was the one king who did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. And we looked a couple of chapters ago how that Isaiah was um, uh, uh, not honoring the Lord. He was trying to make an alliance with Assyria and possibly even Egypt, while Syria, a separate nation, Syria and Israel, the country to the north of him, while they were making a, a pact, an alliance, a confederacy against him. And Isaiah went to Ahaz and he said, Trust the Lord, and he will, he will even give you a sign. And we saw that sign was that a virgin would conceive and bear a son. And we, see, we know that's come through in the form of of Jesus Christ himself. And so we come to Isaiah chapter 9 and we still have more prophecy being given by Isaiah about the coming Christ. And so in this chapter we have two different prophecies that come together almost seamlessly. We have the first coming of Christ found in the first two verses and we have the second coming of Christ. Furthermore, the, the chapter 9 of Isaiah can be divided up into two sections. How many of you have paragraph markers in your Bible? A paragraph marker in your Bible. If you look, you'll see a paragraph marker at verse number 8. And so that's where we have a, a change of thought. And just as is common in much of Isaiah's prophecies, he'll be on point talking about all that's going on uh, with um, the current time, and then he'll switch over and he'll start talking about prophecy. And he'll bounce back and forth between the two. Well, he's going to begin chapter 9 talking about the prophecy, the 
coming time, the first and second coming of Christ. And then when you get to verse 8, he then moves back to current time that he's living in and the state of things as they are. So we'll begin by looking at some prophecy this evening, and then we'll finish out the message by repeating many of the points that Isaiah has been making to the nation of Judah and the nation of Israel in regards to their wickedness. So let's jump into the outline tonight as we try to understand Isaiah chapter 9. And notice point number one, the promise of the coming Messiah, the promise of of the coming Messiah. Um, Look with me uh, at letter A, underneath point number one, His first coming. His first coming. And so, look with me at verse number one of Isaiah chapter number nine. The Bible says, Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation, when at the first He lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterwards did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan and Galilee of the nations. Look at two. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. Now, when I sat down to begin to put this together, I read verse number one, and like many of you that might read through the book of Isaiah when you're doing your devotions, I kind of did a a head-scratcher after I got through with verse one and said, that's quite wordy. What does that even mean? And I had to really dig and and parse the verse to really understand uh, what it meant there. Look back with me at verse number one. Let me kind of do some explaining as we go here, okay? Look here. Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation. What does that mean? That means that these regions, which will be described momentarily, were in great vexation. They were under great uh, 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 sorrow. They were under great attack. And there was a time of, of tension and hurt and pain in the land. And there's going to come a time where that will not be the case. There's going to be a time uh, where there will be relief added. Look back there, beginning in verse 1. Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation. So there was a dimness, there was a darkness, and that will be brought, uh, that will be eased. Uh, look, continue to read with me there. When at the first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. Now we know Zebulun and Naphtali to be two of the tribes of Judah. But beyond that, what is the significance of Zebulun and Naphtali? Well, let me lay this out for you. We find the city of Nazareth in Zebulun. Anybody familiar with the city of Nazareth? Nazareth is where Jesus grew up. That was his hometown. And how about um, how about Naphtali? Well, we find the city of Capernaum in Naphtali. Both Zebulun and Naphtali are located around the Sea of Galilee. They're considered the region of Galilee. That's where Jesus was from. In fact, Jesus was born in Nazareth. He would go back to Nazareth once he began his earthly ministry, and they would reject him. He would try to do the work of a prophet there, but they would reject him and say, oh, you're just the son of Mary. Who are you? Get out of here. And so then he would make Capernaum, which was a port town to Jerusalem, they would make, he would make Capernaum his headquarters. And so when you see the word Zebulun, insert Nazareth. And when you see the word Naphtali, insert the word Capernaum. Now let's go back to the beginning of verse number one. Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation. It won't stay dark when at the first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun or Nazareth, the land of Naphtali or uh, Capernaum, and afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the seas beyond Jordan and Galilee of the nations. Now let's offer some historical context to what uh, we're looking at here. We're on the next slide there, the, fir- the fir- letter A, the first coming. Uh, but what, what, are we, uh, what are we talking here? We're talking about uh, Isaiah writing during a time where Zebulun and Naphtali are under siege and under attack, under siege and under attack from Assyria, first Syria, the nation of Syria and Israel coming in and bombarding them. And then on the heels of that, the nation of Assyria 
coming in and taking many of them into captivity. And Isaiah is saying there is coming a day where this region of Naphtali and uh, uh, Zebulun will not feel the vexation, will not feel the darkness. There's coming a day where there will be a, a light that will shine. Notice below his first coming. Notice from cursed to blessed. From cursed to blessed. Look at verse number 2 with me. It says, The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. Well, so what are we talking about here when we talk about from cursed to blessed? We're talking about a region of Israel that was under attack, under a great siege, paganism had come in and taken over this area. In fact, much of this area would have a mix of Judaism and paganism and sort of a fusion of the two into their own religion. And what would happen is that the Lord Jesus Christ would grow up in Nazareth. He would live in Capernaum. Much of his ministry would exist in this region of Naphtali and Zebulon. And he would take that region from being cursed to bless. Turn it over in your Bibles to John chapter number 1 and look with me at verse number 46. John chapter 1 and verse number 46. Here Jesus is beginning his um, earthly ministry and Matthew, Mark, and Luke, especially Matthew and Luke, kind of work into uh, Jesus' earthly ministry whereas Mark and John just sort of get right to it. Look at John chapter 1 with me and look at verse 46. Here he's calling his disciples and here we find his encounter with one uh, man named Nathaniel, it says, And Nathaniel said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? You see how Nazareth had a reputation? Philip saith unto him, Come and see. You see how, uh, you see here how Zebulun or Nazareth had a reputation of being cursed? It would be like uh, saying today, can any good thing come out of West Virginia? Amen? Uh, can any good thing uh, come from, insert that area of the country that maybe is uh, looked down upon as being less than? And uh, that was the other side of the tracks, if you will. And that, this was a region that was cursed. And what did Philip say to Nathaniel? He said, Come and see. Now when you say Jesus of Nazareth, the thought is, well, then Nazareth must be a good area. It went from being an area that was cursed to an area that was blessed. But furthermore, it went from being a place of darkness to light, from darkness to light. Now back in verse number 2 of Isaiah chapter number 9, we see the first coming of Christ. It says, the people that walked in darkness, in darkness, have seen a great light. They have dwelt in the land of the shadow of death. Upon them uh, the light shined. We know Jesus was born in Bethlehem, and that uh, there that evening uh, in the uh, stall he was laid of the uh, of the sheep, laid there maybe in some straw and wrapped in swaddling clothes, and laid there in the manger in that stall and. Uh, we know that there were shepherds that were in the field, Luke 2 tells us, keeping their watch of the sheep at nighttime. And all of a sudden, a bright light shined there in that sky. And angels lit up the sky to tell the shepherds that the Christ child has been born. But uh, Jesus did not stay in Bethlehem. He would go to Egypt for a little while where he would escape the wrath of Herod. And then he would make his way back to Galilee, to this Zebulun um, Naphtali area, the Zebulun area of Nazareth. He would be raised there. He would make his headquarters again in Capernaum there in Naphtali, right there on the Sea of Galilee. And he would be a light that would shine. In fact, you can find uh, instances where Jesus goes through Capernaum in one day and performs five, six seven miracles. You may remember that he uh, touches the hand of the withered man. And then right after that, he's trying to be taken uh, by Jairus to his home to heal the, uh, the the little girl that's sick. And on his way, the woman reaches out and touches the hem of his garment. And he says, well, who touched me? And it was the lady. And she was made a whole from her issue of blood. And then he makes his way into the home of, of Jairus. And there his daughter lay dead and he raises her back to life. And then he goes to Peter's home and he takes the mother-in-law all in 
in one day and He uh, heals her and raises her up all in one day. And then He heals a leper on the Sunday. All of those miracles took place in the city of Capernaum. John chapter 8, verse number 12. Turn over to John chapter 8 and verse number 12. Jesus was the light that came into the darkness. Understand that from the close of the Old Testament until the John the Baptist came on the scene, you had several hundred years of what we call the silent era. There were no prophets speaking. Uh, Israel laid, uh, Judah rather, laid under bondage uh, to uh, first the Medes and Persians and, and then the Greeks and then uh, on to Rome. They were under Roman rule now and uh, they're still following their Judaism and they still have their temple and all of this. But it, there just seems to be this, this darkness as though God has quit speaking them to them. And then John the Baptist comes on the scene and then Jesus comes on the scene. Look at verse number 12 of John chapter 8. Then spake Jesus unto them, saying, I and the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Aren't you thankful that Jesus is the light of life? Uh, I have to say, there have been times in my life where things have been pretty dim and pretty dark. I have felt like I was maybe under some, some kind of curse. Right? Everything in my life was going wrong. You ever been there? Right? Uh, your, your car won't start. And so you go out and buy a new battery. And you get the new battery in there, and then a week later, it doesn't start again. And someone says, oh, well, then it's got to be your alternator. And so you put an alternator in, and then it still won't start. And someone says, well, it's your starter. And uh, after you're about, you know, $900, $1,000 deep, someone says, oh, you've got a head gasket that's blown. And, uh, you know, it's just money's just pouring out. You're, you're having to borrow money to even keep the car on the road. And about the time you get the car fixed, lo and behold, uh, your washer or your dryer goes up or your furnace goes up. And you think, hey, do I have some kind of curse on me? And uh, uh, Maybe you're at a time in your life where you've got some relationships that are struggling. Maybe your marriage is strained or relationship with a, a parent is strained or relationship with a brother or sister is strained or maybe uh, you have a work relationship that isn't going well. Maybe you've lost your job and you feel like you're just kind of walking around in a fog and you're in some kind of a darkness and you pray and it's almost like David who says, Lord, are you going to listen to me? Are you up there? And uh, uh, the Lord uh, is, is talking. Uh, you're talking to the Lord, but you don't really feel like you're you're getting anywhere you're sort of walking in that darkness and jesus says just follow me i am the light of life i am the light of life i will bring blessings back on you in manifold if you will stay faithful to me jesus's first coming he took zebulun and naphtali this region of galilee that in isaiah's time felt cursed and he took it from cursed to bless. It felt as though they were in darkness and he took it from darkness to light. We see the promise of the coming Messiah. We see his first coming. Uh, letter, uh, letter B. Well, before we get it, well, I'll go and give you letter B. Letter B notice his second coming. His second coming. Now, uh, before we get into his second coming, I just want to say this. Verses three through seven, in my opinion, in my opinion, transition from the first coming of Christ to the second coming of Christ. We read 6 and 7 a little bit ago that says, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And say, well, pastor, clearly that's talking about the first coming of Christ. And I would say that I don't believe it is. I believe verses 6 and 7 are talking about the second time Jesus comes back. Now, he says, well, he's born. Do you understand that the first time Jesus came and he was born in, in, in Bethlehem and laid there in that manger, that th that announcement was made to shepherds and most of Israel rejected the birth of the Messiah. Jesus grew up in anonymity and then when he announced who he was, uh, the country as a whole rejected Jesus. And even to this day, if you meet a devout Orthodox Jew, they will tell you that Jesus was not 
the Messiah and that the Messiah has not yet come. Um, and so when Jesus comes back the second time, it will be as though uh, Jesus has been born anew. In fact, uh, we won't do it tonight, but on your own, if you want to later, you can turn over to the last chapter of Isaiah and you can read about the birth of the nation of Israel anew. When Jesus comes back the second time, it's as though this birth takes place anew. Verses 3 uh, down through 7 would seem to indicate to me that this is talking about the second coming of Christ. Now that brings us to an interesting theological point that if you're going to understand the Bible, uh, this might not be as much fun to teach as, say, John 3.16 or to talk about the love of God or uh, the power of the gospel. But can I say that uh, if you're going to be a student of the Bible, this is a point I think you need to understand. Did you know that the Old Testament prophets did not understand or have any idea about the church era? That was left as a mystery to them. And so Isaiah, along with some other prophets in the Old Testament, would go from talking about the first coming of Christ right into talking about the second coming of the Christ with no, with, 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 with no break in between. It would be the first coming of Christ, jump right into the second coming of Christ, and here we have a 2,000-year gap plus between the two. Are you all with me tonight? That era is the church era. You say, well, pastor, how do you know they didn't know? Well, there's a couple of ways we know they didn't know. First of all, it's not talked about at all in the Old Testament. Second of all, Paul tells us in two different books that they didn't know. Okay, let me show you what I mean here. Turn over to Romans, okay? Romans chapter number 16 and verse number 25. I'll show you this passage first, then we'll turn over to the book of Ephesians. And Paul is even more clear there in Ephesians. Romans chapter uh, number 16. And look with me at verse number 25. There is a, there is a gap in the Old Testament where it's not laid out. And uh, you also find this gap with the 70 weeks prophecy in Daniel chapter 9 for um, uh, Daniel, a gap between the 69th and 70th week, which is the church era that Daniel never fully or ever, ever understood at all. Look at me at Romans 16 and look at verse number 25. The Bible says, Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, look at that word mystery, which was kept secret since the world began. What is this mystery that's kept secret since the world began? It is the church era. Look at 26. But now is made manifest or made known and by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandments of the everlasting God made known to all nations. Notice plural nations for the obedience of faith. Now, God worked solely through Israel in the Old Testament. Now he's gone from working with a nation to working with the nations, plural, through the church era. And so this was a mystery going all the way back to the foundation of the world. Let, let, let's look at this as it's explained even clearer in Ephesians chapter number 3. Turn over with me. If you're in Romans, it would be just a handful of books to the right there. First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, and then Ephesians. Ephesians chapter number 3, and we see Paul lay out here for us the idea of the mystery and that mystery uh, being the gospel and the grace of God through the church era. Look with me at verse number 1, and we'll read down through verse number 6 with some pauses for explanation. Look here, it says, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles... If ye have heard the dispensation, the era of the grace of God, which is given me to you, word, how that by revelation he made known unto you the mystery, there's that word again, as I wrote afore in few words, speaking of his writing to the church of Rome, whereby when ye read ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages, this speaking of the Old Testament, was not made known unto the sons of men or the prophets, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles, there's the church era, should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ 
by the gospel. So we have a gap between the first coming of Christ in the Old Testament and the second coming of Christ. And now we have a much clearer understanding of what was going on in the book of Isaiah now that we have uh, the writings of Paul and an entire Bible assembled that we can study. Let me just say this. It would have been next to impossible during the Old Testament era, when Christ was alive, you were a scribe, you were a, you were a student of Scripture. It would have been difficult to be able to see that gap, that understanding. To be able to divide out the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. Go back with me to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9, the first two verses, in my opinion, are talking about the first coming of Christ. And there's no gap jumping from the first coming of Christ right into prophecy about the second coming of Christ. Okay, Look with me at verse 3, and let's read down through verse number 7. The Bible says, Thou hast multiplied the nation. Singular. That's talking about Israel, uh, uh, God's chosen people. Thou hast multiplied the nation and not increased the joy. They uh, joy before thee according to the joy in harvest. And as men rejoice when they divide the spoil, for thou hast broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulders, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. For every battle of the warrior is uh, with confused noise and garments rolled in blood but this shall be with burning and fuel of fire for unto us a child is born unto us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called wonderful counselor the mighty god the everlasting father the prince of peace of the increase of the government and peace there shall be no end upon the throne of david and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever the zeal of the lord will perform this okay let's take those four verses that talk about in my opinion the second coming of christ and let's break it down and understand it okay below his second coming notice their multiplication their multiplication. Uh, look with me at verse number 3. Verse number 3. Again, it says, Thou hast multiplied the nation, and not increased the joy, their joy before thee, according to the joy in harvest, and as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. The multiplication. Um, now, since the time that Isaiah was alive, the Jewish state has grown and grown and grown. There are Jews that live in every corner of the world, every country of the world. Um, uh, there are Jews everywhere, just as God promised Abraham. Turn it back to Genesis chapter number 22. Genesis chapter 22 and verse number 15. Now, as you know, much of the Bible is interconnected with each other, and we better understand the passage we're in by looking at other passages. Tonight's Bible study to me is enjoyable because we're going to be in the New Testament, uh, the writings of Paul, we're going to be in the Gospels, we're going to be, we're obviously in the Prophets, but now we're in the book of, books of history with Genesis, and then we're going to also be in the book of Revelation here in a little bit. Genesis 22, look with me at verse number 15. We'll read down through verse number 18. The Bible says, And the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time and said, By myself have I sworn, uh, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven. Here we see their multiplication and as the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. Now this is coming right on the heels of, um, of uh, Abraham taking Isaac up and, and laying him down on that altar and being willing to sacrifice him. And God says, because you were so obedient... I'm going to multiply you like the stars in the sky. I'm going to multiply you like the sands on the seashore. How many of you have ever been to a place like Vermont, Brother Potter, uh, out in the middle of nowhere uh, where there's no city lights around and been able to look up and see stars that are innumerable? How many know what I'm talking about? You've, you've seen such a thing. 
That's, God said, that's how the nation of Israel is going to be, Abraham. That's how your, your seed is going to become, like the, the, the sands of a sea or the stars in the sky. And uh, that prophecy has 100% come true. We see their multiplication. Notice next, their misery. Their misery. Go back to Isaiah chapter 9 and look with me again at verse number 4. And look with me at verse number 5. We saw in verse 3 they'd be multiplied, but their joy would not be multiplied. Look at 4 and 5, and we see that broken down and explained further. And I believe that 4 and 5 would be describing current day and even future up through the the, uh, establishment of the millennial reign, the the state of Israel. Look at 4. For thou hast broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. This is saying that you're going to break them, you're going to break down their government, and they won't have an autonomous government anymore. We know that came true when Babylon conquered them. And verse 5, For every battle of the warrior is with confused noise, and garments rolled in blood, but this shall be with burning and fuel of fire. Wow, what's that mean? That means that they will be under constant assault, constant non-stop attacks. Many of you remember the video we showed for our missionary update maybe three weeks ago from Brother Nibby. Uh, he's standing there in the garden tomb and talking about how that just a few blocks from his house, Hamas had fired na- uh, missiles in that had hit just a few blocks away from his house. And The state of Israel right now, while they may have their own nation and have their own uh, president and own ruler, they're under constant, nonstop assault by Palestine. It's constant, nonstop attack. Why? Now, in, in essence, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And they have rejected Jesus as their Messiah. So they know no peace. In number, they're multiplied, but in joy, they're not. Enjoy, they're not. They are people who live under constant assault, constant attack, constant misery. You know, this goes back a long ways. Uh, a couple of years ago, my uncle uh, was up visiting, and uh, he's sitting in the living room with me and my dad. And, and uh, my uncle is a Christian, but not real grounded in the Bible or spiritual things. And he asked me and my dad, he said, Why is it that the Jews just seem to always be on everyone's hit list? Why is it that they, throughout history, are constantly being oppressed and attacked? And uh, my father and I gave him, you know, the standard answer and, and, and uh, the lines of, well, you know, Satan's the prince of power of the air, and Satan's constantly looking to oppress God's people. Look at look at uh, Holocaust and everything that happened there. Just curious, how many of you have had a chance to visit the Holocaust Museum? I think there's one in New York. I know there's one in Washington D.C. How many of you have been there to see that? And if you haven't, get there, and it is moving. It is, really, you can't describe the emotions that you feel when you go through. Is that how you felt, Brother Okai, Miss, Mrs. Dalton, Miss Dalton, when you went through there? It was, um, it's heart-wrenching to see what they did. The, the mass burial of graves, and uh, just the, 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 the horrible way that God's people were treated. We see their multiplication we see their misery, but then, uh, in fact, their misery is still yet to build and come. Turn to Revelation chapter 12 and look at verse number 13. And when we get done with Revelation 12, put, put a marker in your Bible because we'll be back in Revelation, another part of Revelation uh, here in just a moment. Revelation 12, and look with me at verse number 13. We see that during the second half of the tribulation, um, the the Antichrist is going to, and Satan himself, they're just going to, to, to go all out on attacking the Jews in the Jewish state. Look at verse 13. It says, And when the dragon, that's speaking of Satan, or uh, in the false trinity, this would be uh, the one that's over the Antichrist. Uh, the dragon saw that he was cast unto the earth, He persecuted the woman, that's speaking of the nation of Israel, which brought forth the man-child, that man-child being Jesus. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place where she is nourished for a time 
and times and half a time. That's a reference to three and a half years from the face of the serpent. And the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. And the earth helped the woman and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon cast out of his mouth. And the dragon was wroth with the woman or Satan was wroth with the nation of Israel and went to make war with the remnant of her seed which uh, keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Well, by this time in in prophecy, uh, Israel has come around and accepted Jesus as the Messiah and Satan has now been thrown out of heaven where he was um, uh, accusing the brethren, the church in heaven, and now he's back on earth for the last half of the tribulation. The Antichrist has sat on the throne in the temple and he has uh, committed the abomination and that has caused the temple to become desolate of Jews. They have fled and left because they realize this man is not a good guy. And uh, Now the uh, Satan is using his prince and power of the air to assault the nation of Israel and attack them every way possible. And God gives them some sort of safe haven and protection from this attack. We see their misery. Notice next, their Messiah. Their Messiah. Go back to, put, put, put a marker in Revelation. Go back to Isaiah chapter 9 and look at verse number 6. So they're under assault. They've been multiplied. Uh, they're, uh, they're, 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 they're miserable uh, in their status. And then all of a sudden, on the scene, comes their Messiah to the rescue. Look here, we see the climax of the first half of the chapter. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called a wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, uh, the Prince of Peace, of the increase of His government, and uh, uh, peace there shall be no end. And upon the throne of David and upon His kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment uh, and with justice from henceforth even forever. Uh, The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. How is this going to take place? How is this going to happen after seven years of Satan just bringing a a great hurt on the earth and even God raining down His wrath upon the earth? All of a sudden, the Messiah is going to mount a horse in heaven. Uh, the, 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 The Christ, the Messiah, will come down and you'll have a battle with the forces of darkness in the valley of Megiddo where He will win and He will establish a new kingdom where he will rule and reign and the government of the earth will rest upon his shoulder and for a thousand years there will be peace on earth. Why? Because the prince of peace will rule and reign. Go with me back to Revelation and let's watch this unfold in the book of Revelation. Revelation 19 and verse number 11 and let's read down through the end of the chapter. Now that's... um, or rather through verse 20. That's quite a bit of reading, but this is, uh, this is exciting, dramatic uh, reading here. So look there, follow along with me in your Bible. The Bible says here, John is speaking, And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire. And his head were many crowns, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of 
Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying, To all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God, that ye may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and of them that sit on them and the flesh of all men both free and bond both small and great and I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army and the beast was taken and with him uh, the false prophet that wrought miracles before them which he uh, which uh, with which he deceived them that he had received the mark of the beast and them that worshiped his image these both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. You have the world that's being ravaged by the Antichrist, the false prophet and the dragon Satan himself. And here they are uh, wreaking havoc on the earth. Uh, There are people who've taken a mark in their forehead or in their right hand. And these people are persecuting the Jewish state. And uh, they're trapped, if you will, in a corner on planet earth. And then all of a sudden, out of the heavens comes the Messiah. He's birthed back on earth he comes on a white horse and he brings deliverance to his people he fights that battle and the enemies are destroyed and satan is thrown into hell and then jesus rests the government on his shoulder where he'll rule and reign here on this earth for a thousand years look down at revelation 20 verses 4 5 and 6 the bible says and i saw thrones and they sat upon them and judgment was given unto them and i saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of jesus in the word of god and which had not worshiped the beast neither his image neither uh, had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands and they lived and reigned with christ a thousand years but the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were fulfilled this is the first resurrection blessed and holy is uh, he that hath part in the first resurrection on such the second death hath no power but they shall be priests of god and of christ's and shall reign with him a thousand years their messiah is coming our messiah is coming the messiah of the entire world is coming in that second coming it will be glorious it will be glorious now you say well pastor that's all fine and dandy and wonderful but how does that help me in the day today and so let me just plug uh, uh, this here let me throw this out for you if i could you have the book of revelation i think is very 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 misunderstood there's a lot of people that like to take the book of revelation and spend a lifetime studying it and, and I think it's great if you understand the book of Revelation inside and out. Okay, John said you're blessed if you read it. And so who am I to say otherwise? All right, it's in the Bible, it's part of our Bible. But why did God give the church the book of Revelation? Because that's who it was given to. It was given to the church. Here's why it was given to us. It was given to us to be the carrot on the end of the stick to say, keep moving forward for the Lord. Here's the, how everything else is going to play out. And in the end, Christ reigns supreme and wins. During that day in your life, that season in your life, where you just want to throw in the towel on being a Christian, and you want to walk away from it all because you think, this is never going to come to an end, just be reminded, Jesus is still on the throne, and all of this is going to play out in His time. There's an old southern gospel song that words it this way, I've read the back of the book, and we win. Amen? And that's, that's how it comes out in the end. We win. And so in the day-to-day, if you're discouraged, understand that chapters 2 and 3 of the book of Revelation are written to the church, about seven different types of church. Revelation chapter 4, I believe the church is raptured out. Revelation 6, things get kicked off here on planet Earth. And by the time you get to chapter 19, Jesus is coming back. He's kicking, uh, he's kicking Satan around. He's, he's chaining him up. He's throwing him out into hell. And by the very, very end of the book, there is no more 
more Satan. He's cast away in utter darkness. And we rule and reign. We rather we live with Christ for eternity in a new heaven and a new earth and a marriage. And so we see here uh, that this is to encourage us through the hard times. Now, I want to finish the Bible study tonight. Um, by uh, let, me give you, let me do this. Let me give you point two really quick, and then we're going to come back. And so the slides will be a little bit out of order. And so you all figure that out back there the best you can. Let me give you point two, and then we're going to come back and look at the names assigned to Jesus uh, there in um, uh, Isaiah chapter 9 and verse number 6. Okay, So point number two, write this down quickly, the punishment of the corrupt monarchy. We saw, number one, the promise of the coming Messiah. Number two, the punishment of of the corrupt monarchy. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time in verses 8 through 21, only because uh, when you get to the, these verses, they're repetitive with what we've already looked at in the first eight chapters and what we'll continue to see throughout the book. So we're going we're gonna to blow past these quickly, and then I want to spend a minute or two going over the names of Christ. Okay, so notice letter A, their arrogance and pride. Their arrogance and pride. Uh, verse 8, 9, and 10 talk about how even when their walls are broken down, even when their, uh, their buildings are burned, in their arrogance and pride, they're going to assume that they can take and replace and build up even without God's blessings, even without God's help. Notice letter B, their, uh, their adversaries in pain. Their adversaries in pain in all of their efforts to try to restore uh, the ten northern tribes of Israel once Assyria comes in and carries them away captive. In all their attempts to build back their country, it will fail, it will fall apart, it will be no more. And so on your own, you can read 8 through 21 and, uh, and see how all that plays out. Let's back up and let's look at verse uh, number... Let me, let me get uh, verse number, uh, let's see, verse number 6 there. Go back to verse number 6, and I, and I want to finish this evening by uh, showing you the names of, of Christ here and how uh, special these are, okay? Notice here, and so notice here that you have uh, the name Wonderful, Wonderful. It says, He shall be called Wonderful. Now, the, the, Judges 13, 18, uh, we find the same word translated Wonderful, and they're wanting to know more about the angel of the Lord in this verse. And the Bible translate the, the, rather the word uh, for wonderful here in Isaiah is translated the word secret in Judges 13:18. The same Hebrew word is translated secret. Is uh, the name of Jesus is wonderful. Part of the thing that makes him so wonderful is that there are so many things about him you and I can't even begin to comprehend or understand. How about Matthew chapter 11, verse 27, where it talks about how that only the Father in heaven knows the secret of when the second coming will be. He is wonderful. Not only is He wonderful, He is our counselor. He is our counselor. Romans 11:34 tells us that He is our counselor and that no one has ever given Him counsel. Did it ever dawn to you that when Jesus was walking the earth with his 12 disciples, he never looked at them and said, Hey guys, what do you think we should do next? He never did that. You know, he knew what was going on. And um, we like to go to each other for counsel, right? You call your mom or your dad or you call, a, you know, a deacon or a, or a life group leader or maybe you call the pastor or assistant pastor. Uh, maybe you have... Uh, somebody in your life who you get advice from, and the Bible tells us there's safety in a multitude of counselors. He is the counselor of all counselors. Amen? Listen, you would be wise to learn to go to God with your problems before you ever go to a man with your problems. He is the counselor of all counselors. Not only is he wonderful, not only is he the counselor, he is the mighty God, the mighty God. Matthew chapter 28 and verse 28, Jesus tells his disciples right before he sends to heaven, he says, all power in heaven is given unto me. All power. God in the form of Jesus held all power in his hand upon his resurrection. One day he'll rule and reign from Jerusalem with all power. Everybody who will share in rulership of earth will be given that power from God and will be on lease from God. He is 
the mighty God. Not only is Jesus wonderful and the Counselor and the mighty God, He is the everlasting Father. The everlasting Father. John chapter 1, verse 3 tells us, All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Jesus has existed since eternity past, and He was involved intricately in the creating of the world. Uh, they will say about Jesus, He is the everlasting Father. Well, if Jesus is called the everlasting Father, then how do you understand the distinction between the Son and the Father? And the point is that the two of them are so uniquely uh, uh, connected. They're so uh, interwoven that sometimes it's hard to even tell the difference. And the last name given to him in verse 6 is the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. Let's finish the Bible study tonight in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 13. Turn back over there. We were there a little bit ago. Ephesians 2, 13 through 18. I think this is a great way to finish the Bible study. These verses were an encouragement to me as I studied uh, for this uh, message Look here, it says, But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace." And that he might reconcile both unto God and one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached to you, which were afar off, and to them that were nigh. For through him we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. Jesus is the one that brings peace to our relationship with God the Father in heaven. You've heard me say this many times, but the first time Jesus came... He came as a prophet. The next time Jesus comes, he'll come as a king. He's a prophet, a priest, and a king. Right now, his role is to sit on the throne in heaven at the right hand of the Father where he intercedes. He's now our priest. He's our priest, and he brings peace between us and the Father. I saw a clever bumper sticker, K-N-O-W, no Jesus, no peace. N-O, no Jesus, no peace. You want the peace in your life. You feel that your life is an upheaval and you wonder what's going on in your world. Uh, Isaiah would say in chapter 26, verse 3, the, the same book, that um, uh, when we put our mind on him, he gives us that perfect peace. And uh, he gives us that peace. So I would encourage you tonight to make Jesus the Prince of Peace in your life. The King is coming, and I look forward to the next time He comes because we'll get to be with Him, church. It's going to be a glorious time. Let's stand together. We'll be dismissed with a word of prayer. I'm glad you all made it out tonight. I hope the Bible study was a help to you, and I hope it's clearer than mud. Amen. My, I'm uh, working at home on my swimming pool right now, and when I took the cover off uh, last Thursday, it was black underneath. And I've got it to a light green. And I can almost see the bottom of the pool. So I hope your understanding of Isaiah 9 is even cleaner than my swimming pool is right now. Amen. Let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Let's ask God to bless us as we go. Give us a great, uh, give us a great rest of our week.